Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If you have your Bibles today and turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. We're continuing our series on altars. If the Lord will allow me, I'll be ministering out of this this morning. I woke up this morning with um, a dream. In the dream, I was singing. Imagine that. I was singing. Have you ever sung a song in your dream? Um, has, I'm talking about a spiritual song. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I, I, it was a spiritual dream, and it was a spiritual song, and I began to sing. And um, I was singing an old song called, um, I Am Not Ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was a song that has been sung for many years. Janet Paschal is an artist who sung the song. I don't believe she wrote the song, but it was recorded by her and others. But she really uh, made the song go um, all around the nation. And it was just in my spirit, but I woke up to a dream. I was in a dream, and I don't know where I was at. It was in a sea of people. It, it, It was like a church service, but it wasn't necessarily confined to a building. And as far as I could see around me, there were faces of people, just thousands beyond what I could even count. I could just only see people on every horizon around me. And there were children there. There were adults there. It reminded me of Bethel because it was a very colorful, colorful group of folks all united. And people had their hands raised. And tears were rolling down their face and they were worshiping. I heard people praying in tongues. I saw people fall down before the Lord. I saw people laying before the Lord, not only adults, but children. And there was a sound of intercession that was coming out of that. And I looked and I knew that the Lord, I knew that the Lord was there. I couldn't see him. I couldn't single him out. There were so many people. But everywhere I looked, I felt him. I felt his presence. And people were laying on the ground, people were standing, people were praising, and there was a great intercession that began to pray, and and, and people began to worship, and it just began, it began to roar in my ear, the sound of intercession and praise. It was like co-mixed. And I remember as I was in that moment of worship and praise, and it was electrifying that there came a sound of instruments and I wish I could tell you it was a drum or it was a, an organ or it was, a, it was a trumpet. I don't know what the sound was, but it was really unlike anything that I had been able to distinguish with my ear. And it was a loud sound, but it didn't start off loud. It got louder. It got louder and louder and louder. And it overtook the sound of intercession. And the noise was so strong that it reached a crescendo, a swell to the very moment that it just got so powerful. And I woke up singing, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm telling you, for me, I got up this morning and said, "Woo!" (laughs) Have you ever just said, thank you, Lord, for speaking to me? And I don't, you know, and I'm not saying that I don't follow hooky spook and I don't do, you know, that was a white castle before I went to bed dream. No, it was just, I mean, I felt the spirit of the Lord. And it's really not even an interpretation that I'm looking for. It's just a knowing in my spirit. God is with you. God is with me. He's with us. 
and I've got joy this morning. Smile at somebody like you've brushed your teeth three times and say, I've got joy this morning. We've been digging. Last Sunday, we, we really preached and brought out the message on altars and that Elijah built an altar unto the Lord. The Lord took me into the book of Genesis chapter 8, and if you have your Bible there, we want to continue our series in Genesis chapter 8 this morning. When you have it, say amen. In verse 13, and it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. Verse 20, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Notice again in verse 20 that Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. Say that with me, Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for the anointing to rest upon your people's ears. Let me have a mouth to speak the words that you give me. Let us have an ear to receive and comprehend until the word lodges deep within us and change is made. Father, we honor you today and everyone say amen. amen. As we continue this morning on this subject of altars, I want to make a statement to every man and every woman and those of you that are in attendance online as well, every person, I don't care how close you are to them, every person has to build their own altar. Every one of us are required to build our own altar. I can't build your altar for you. You can't build my altar for me. I love you, but I can't build your altar for you. You have to build your own altar, your own place with God, your own hookup with God, your own connection. You have to build that consecrated place between you and God all by yourself. One of the things that I realize is that altars do not come prefab. You cannot order an altar from Amazon. You cannot ship one in from Lowe's and have it delivered to your home. 
Altars don't come already built. You have to build it yourself. And the Bible says that Noah, when he got off of the ark, he built an altar. And I want you to understand this morning that the thought that I'm leaving you with today is that we are required to build the altar. And so I want to ask you a question. What are you going to build? In fact, look at your neighbor and say, what are you going to build? In other words, what did God give you? What did God put in your life? What raw materials has he already provided you that need to be used, that need to be built? Maybe are things that you have hidden in the rafters, hidden in the closet, in places where if you're not careful, it will deteriorate and rot if it's not used soon. That God is saying, I want you to take the tools that I've given you, the wood that I've given you, the product I've given you, the resources I've provided you, and I want you to build an altar. What are you going to build? Because the materials that God has given us, they need to be used to build. Or we're going to sit around and complain because things are not built yet. Or we haven't received or achieved this yet. It's almost like I heard in my spirit the Lord say, I gave you the wood. I gave you the wood and I'm not going to make the chair for you. You have the wood. You can build it for yourself. It's like I heard God say, I gave you a toolbox full of tools, but you have to open the toolbox in order to build the house. God has equipped his people. He has prepared us. He has given us resources. And I just fear God saying, I've already given you what you need. And I don't know who that is for this morning, but the Lord told me distinctly to release that over you, that I've already given you the resource. I've already given you the toolbox. Just open up the toolbox and begin to build what I have given you. I believe that God wants you to build the dream. God wants you to run after him and build what he put in your heart and in your spirit. And I want to drop this off to somebody today that if you want it to be better, then you need to build it. If you want to enhance your life, then you need to build it. You want a better relationship, then open your mouth and start communicating and begin to use the resource that God has has given you. It's not going to happen if you don't. You've got to put one foot in front of the other, line upon line, and precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and allow God to build what he wants to build out of your life. You want God to bless your business? Well, God will bless your business, but he cannot bless what you will not build. You've got to build it in order for God to bless it. Come on now, church. You've got to build it if you want God to bless it. He will bless it, but he will not build it. So that means you've got to get off the phone with them people who are talking about other people. I'm 50 years old and I have never met a rich gossiper. I don't know any rich gossipers. Every gossiper I know is broke. 
because rich people don't have time to be in your business. They're building something. Oh, yeah. They don't have time to be up in your kitchen. They are building uh, something uh, from the resource that God has given them. If you're ta- Listen, if you're taking care of my business, you don't have time to take care of your own business. Look at somebody and say, get out of my business. Take care of your own business. Build your own marriage. Build your own house. Build your own relationship. Build your own career. Quit sticking your nose in my business. You going to be as poor as Job's turkey. If you don't quit minding my business, mind your own business and build it. If you don't build it, God can't bless it. God looking for somebody to bless today. He looking for somebody who's got construction in their spirit. He looking for somebody today who said, Lord, I hear a voice behind me that said, this is the way. Walk you in it. I see blueprints. My God, I see hammers and nails. I see architectural drawing. Glory to God. I see building in campuses. I see people on top of people. I see see a reservoir of blessing. I see boats. I see bread on many waters. My God, I feel like preaching to somebody on this Sunday morning and tell you God wants you to build it. Look at your neighbor and say, build it. Say, build it. So go back to Genesis chapter 8 in your mind. When we look at the context of the passage, I could preach all around this passage, but I want to stick with the context if I can. Noah and his family are the only survivors of the flood. Noah, his wife, his sons, their wives, and all of the creatures. He is the only, they are the only human survivors of the flood. Everyone is dead except for them. I want you to think about it. Everyone is dead except for them. When you consider the Bible stories, and thank God for Sunday school, because in Sunday school I learned all the Bible stories. I learned about Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. I learned about Moses in a bulrush. Come on. I learned about the fish that were caught and to the made the boat sink. I learned about Jonah and the whale. Are you here? I learned about Noah and the ark. And and I thank God for the Bible stories. And all of them were illustrated to me. But listen, this story is unlike any of them. The death toll is catastrophic up on this story. Can you imagine living on an ark for a year? You know, most people think, well, you know, he was only on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. No, that's how long it rained. If you study it and you understand, it was about 364 days that Noah and his family had to live on an ark. They were, I don't know if they had a mask on, but they were living on an ark. I'm just dropping this in here. Sometimes we feel like we're in an isolated place. Strange time. He was on an ark for about 364 days. From the time the waters began to fall, from how the Bible said that the rain began to fall and the fountains of the deep opened up. And so God flooded the entire earth. 
And, and people were killed because of the flood. And they could not get on the boat. And the Bible said by the time the rain stopped, at the end of that 40 days, they were still in for an, almost a year's experience of living on that boat, waiting for the waters to recede, it, waiting for the waters to go down, waiting for the ark to rest, waiting for God to open the door, waiting for God to give them the next assignment. And so that when they get off that ark, the death toll is catastrophic they have spent a year on the ark and they come off and everybody is dead listen to me we didn't learn it like this in Sunday school we didn't learn about 364 days of being in there and then getting off and saying I see dead people I mean we didn't we didn't learn about it like that but I'm telling you they are all that's left the eight of them are all that's left they're all that's left and I don't know about you but if that was me I probably get off the ark and see dead people everywhere and see everybody gone and just be us. I need me some therapy. I need some counseling. I need somebody to help me to cope with my emotions. Am I preaching in any real people today that just say, Lord, I don't know how I would have handled that. I mean, we talk a big talk. We all hear shouting and speaking in tongues this morning, but when you get off the ark and all you see is devastation and you've been a year stunk up with stinky folk, come on, haven't had a good bath. I wish I could have, have somebody preach me with here. I have to smell manure from all the creatures that are on the ark. Come on now. Having to deal with your family. Having every day the same thing. Trying to eat vegetation. Trying to eat the garden stuff. Everything that they could put on the ark in order to eat it was just not the same. When I got off that boat I would be thinking to myself uh, somebody better give me some uh, uh, give me some therapy somewhere. Somebody, I need to talk to somebody. I need to call 1-800-1-800. I need somebody to help me so I ask you this question this morning and I want you to write this down how do you respond to God when he does something you don't like how do you respond to God when he does something that you don't like every flannel graph illustrated children's bible storybook that showed Noah and his family coming off the ark and everything is lush and green and everyone is happy. And I, I got a picture for you to see. This is what I thought they come off the ark looking at. I thought, well, look how everything's so nice and everybody's so friendly. Everything is so beautiful. It's a Hallmark movie right there. It's lush, it's green, and everything is just so picturesque. But if you think about it, they're coming off an ark and they're the only survivors. It's just us. We got to root hog or die. That's what the old time saints in the South would say. If, you, if your spouse died and you were left to raise your own children, had no social security, had no welfare system, whatever, they said you had to either root hog or die. In other words, you either gonna sit and die and let your problem get the best of you or you gonna put on a pair of bibbed overhauls and get behind an old mule and plow your own field. That's what my grandma did when her first husband died. I'd left her with five children and the oldest one was only about 10 years old and she got up and after my, her, her husband died, she put on his bibbed overhauls, got up on the mountain and got her a garden behind an old mule and until my grandfather Jim Hilton come along and saw her, hallelujah, 
behind that old mule. My God, she was a working woman. He married her, raised her first five. They had six more children on top of that. She didn't sit and say, what am I going to do? There was no welfare. She raised eggs and chickens and she sold the eggs. She went down to the neighbors and she sold their, uh, their clothes. She would stitch up the holes in their clothes and one by one, somebody would come by and put food on her table or food upon her, her, her porch and she could feed her children. Let me tell you, there'll come a time in your life you'll step off of something into something you don't understand and you'll have to ask God, what is this? What is this? Can you trust God when he takes you down a path you don't understand? Can you trust God when you're so lonely you could die? Can you trust God when you can't get a hold of nobody to pray with you and to lift you up and you're all by yourself? You look at your wife, she looks at you. You look at your children, they look back at you. You look at the dog, it looks back at you too and you realize we're all we got. What are we gonna do? You either gonna root, hog, or die. You got to stand on the promise that God gave you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I'm preaching to somebody today. Lo, I'm with you. He said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never forsake you. I will give you what you have need of. Somebody ought to thank him today that he is a promise keeper. They're coming off the ark amongst these dead people. And I wrote this down that the true test of faith is how you respond to God when he, don't, when he allows something you don't like. That's the true test of faith. When he allows something that you don't like. Allow me to compare that to sonship. I want to compare what I just said to sonship. The true test of sonship is that you can handle correction, that you can handle chastisement when you don't understand what's happening. The Bible said, but if you endure chastisement, you are a son and not a bastard. If you're an illegitimate child, when I chastise you, you can walk away. But if you're really my son, with tears in your eyes, you're gonna come back because you came out of me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? God said the test of sonship is how you react to unpleasantry. The test of sonship is how you act to unpleasantries. Anybody can praise God when he's doing the stuff you like. Anybody can praise God when everything's flowing in your bank account. Anybody can praise God when you're getting raises and promotions. Anybody can praise God when everything is just peachy king. But can you praise him on a kidney machine? But can you praise him in a hospital bed? Can you praise him around a graveside? Can you praise him when they lay you off at work? Can you praise him when you're scared? I wish I had somebody to say amen this morning. I want to preach to my real Christians. I'm preaching to some real Christians. The rest of you, I'll get to you in a minute. But I want to preach to the real Christians today. I'm not talking about to people who only praise God when they get good. 
good news. I'm talking about the people who praise God even when they don't understand what God is doing, even when their heart is broken, even when they feel crushed on the inside, even when they feel so upset they think they're going to die. I'm preaching to somebody today who's a real Christian. You've been through hell and back, but you learned how to praise God through the middle of it. I want to preach to them people. You had to fight your way through to raise your children. You had to fight your way to climb over your church hurt. You had to fight your way over your obsessions. You had to fight your way through your dysfunction. But the reason you're here today is because you decided I'm not going to stop praising God. I'm going to give God some glory. I'm going to give God some honor. I think I'm going to praise him all by myself this morning. Somebody say, yeah. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm talking to the real people. People like Thomas Dorsey who wrote the song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. He wrote this song after he had to bury his wife and his child in the same casket. He stumbles to a piano and he builds an altar, not knowing why God would have gave him something and then took it away. He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't get better, bitter. He uses it not as an excuse to backslide. He stumbles to the piano and he begins to pin the words, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me all, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn. Come on, but through the storm, through the night, Lead me on, lead me to the light. He said, take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me on. Somebody ought to thank God for Thomas Dorsey today who penned those words, three, three verses to that song. He said, Lord, I can't get through this without you. And after he buries his wife and his child in the same casket, he found himself at a piano, Brother Rick, and he built an altar unto the Lord and said precious Lord take my hand he offered up a sacrifice a sacrifice is not a tip it's not a toy but it's a sacrifice a sacrifice is what God wants out of you it's got to be something that you can feel something that means something to you a sacrifice means that God doesn't want you to keep giving him stuff that you can't feel because if you can't feel it he can't either. He wants you to give him something that is a sacrifice. Oh, it's quiet in here, but I'm telling you, what makes a sacrifice a sacrifice is its significance to you. It's something you can feel. It's something that costs you. It hurts to give it. It's a statement of value. And Noah says to the Lord, I know I should have drowned but you had mercy on me. You let me succeed when other people failed. 
You let me get in where others were locked out. You let me complete what other people stumbled in. You let me survive what my friends did not survive. Even though I did the same stuff they did, you were merciful to me. You were gracious to me. And Noah is building that altar because he realizes that he should have died too. He should have been cast out too. Am I talking to anybody here today? You did the same mess. You were caught up in the same junk, but you're still alive. You're still here. You were strung out on drugs. You had all kinds of problems and mess in your life and you should have been locked up, should have been thrown away should have been cut down, should have already been in an early grave. But thank God for mercy and thank God for grace. Thank God that he didn't do me like the world did me. Thank God he didn't throw me away when I knew that I was not worthy. Somebody ought to thank God today. He reached all the way down into hell and pulled you up out of a miry clay. If you believe it, give him praise this morning. He'll, he gives God a sacrifice. Yes! Because he said, that could have been me. That should have been me. He offers up those animals in his stead. And this is the message of the gospel. <laughs> that Jesus took my place. Noah offered a sacrifice up to God. And as he slayed the animals and he laid them out, he set them on fire and he thanked God. That's the power of a burnt offering. And anytime you see it, it always represents a sin offering. Hallelujah. Today, I want to testify and I want to thank God for forgiving me of my sins. I realized that had he dealt with me according to my sins, I would have drowned with the rest of them. You didn't make it through school because you were better. You made it because he was merciful. You didn't get where you got today because you were better. You made it because he was kind to you. Don't stick up your nose in the air and act like you're something. Bring your nose down to an altar and find a place to pray and ask God for mercy again. Lay yourself on that altar and say, God, I come down to the altar. I'm an old wretched sinner and I need a savior and I believe when you do mercy will come flowing in your direction it don't matter what you've done he's a God of mercy he's a God of goodness he'll heal you he'll deliver you and he'll cleanse you from all your sins somebody thank God that he brought you peace you ought to praise the Lord this morning for his mercy mercy Noah says, wait a minute, before I do anything, 
with my family at soccer practice. Band practice. I got to build this altar and say thank you, God. Thank you for letting me live, Lord. Thank you that you let my wife live. Thank you you let my children live, Lord. Is there anybody in the house that's grateful? Anybody in the balcony that's grateful? Anybody online that's grateful that he lets you live? Come on. Noah went to the altar. He went there to worship. He went there to worship. And the Bible said he laid his sacrifice on the altar. Ooh, this is what caught me, Pastor Wayne, when I was reading this. It's almost like Noah was saying, we haven't had a barbecue. We haven't had a cookout. We haven't had, we haven't had Longhorn. <laughs> we haven't had Outback. We, had, we haven't had Ruth's Chris. We have, we haven't had man's grill. We, where'd that come from? We, we haven't had, we haven't had anything cooked good in 364 days. And I'm hungry and I want me a meal, but I'll eat later. I'm going to offer this up. I haven't had meat for 364 days, but I hear Noah say, I'm gonna give the protein to you. <laughs> for thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever, amen. And you see, it's important that you know that he put that on the altar, and he set that on fire. Cause when you set something on fire, you cannot take it back. When you set it on fire, you can't reach in and get it. You can't give it to God and then take it back. My God, you said, I gave it to the Lord, Pastor. No, you didn't. By the time you got out to your car, you had already taken it back. I gave it to the Lord, Pastor. No, you got on Facebook and told 30 prophets, I need somebody to undertake for me. You didn't give it to God. You took it all back and are trying to work it out yourself. When you give it to something to God, you put it in the fire. And that's important for somebody to remember today but before I take my seat today I want you to notice something else about what Noah did when he built the altar and he put the sacrifice on it and he set it on fire what he was doing on earth got heaven's attention God began to take notice of his sacrifice in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and he offered burnt offerings unto the altar. And the Lord smelled <laughs> a sweet savor. Let's say that again. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. 
for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. And then God gives us this verse that we like to quote, that while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night, it shall not cease. We like to quote that promise. We quote it often. We say it all as long as there remains seed time and harvest. God is working. But I want you to notice something about this passage before I take my seat. That after Noah offered up a sacrifice on the altar, oh my, something he put in the fire, something he couldn't reach back and take because it was more expensive and valuable to him, he regretted giving it. No, he put it on the altar, something in the fire, and when it began to cook, when it began to begin being consumed by the flames it released a sweet savor and it was from earth that he did it but heaven smelt it my God he released the flavor and the favor of God upon his family and upon this entire generation because he released the sound the smell of a sacrifice he offered up a sacrifice on the altar and God smelled it in heaven somebody has needs to get that into your spirit today you can offer up a sacrifice here and God will smell it in heaven. He offered a sacrifice here and God smelled it in heaven. And the Bible said that it was a sweet savor. Notice that after God smelled the sacrifice, God said something. God did not say anything until the sacrifice came. How many of us think we're doing God a favor just by being here this morning? It's not a, it's not a sacrifice sacrifice unless it is a significance. It is not a sacrifice unless it costs you something. You're not doing God any favors by reserving your seat, prancing in here and showing off your new hair and your new nails. You're not doing God a favor just by coming so you can see what the baby's got on or who's who or who has a designer mask on this week. It ain't about none of that. It isn't a sacrifice until it's significant, until it costs you something. It's not a sacrifice, but when you offer up God a sacrifice, like Paul said in Romans 12, I present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. It's my reasonable servant. I'm not doing God a favor by just being here today. Somebody ought to praise God. He said, present yourself a holy, proper, a holy sacrifice unto God. That's why we don't pay people to do what we should be volunteering to do. It's not a sacrifice until it's significant. But God did not speak until he smelled the sacrifice. And where did he say it? Did he say it out loud? Where did he say it? In his heart. He said it in his thoughts. What the Bible says. And the Lord said in his heart. There's something about knowing the mind of God. To know what is the mind of God. That the spirit of God will lead you into what is the mind of God. Not the mind of the world. Not the mind of carnal things, but the mind of God. He smelled the sacrifice 
And God said in his heart, not out loud, not where people could hear him. God said it in his heart. God said it in his thoughts. God didn't say these things out loud. It was in his thoughts. And after he smelled the sacrifice, he looked down and saw Noah on his knees at an altar of sacrifice when he was confessing it should have been me you kept me you kept my family and before I ever launch out and have a barbecue party I gotta offer you something I gotta bring to you something I gotta let you know how thankful that I am for the goodness you have bestowed upon me and God looked down and said in his heart I will not curse the ground anymore for man's sake neither will I smite it as long as he lives as I have done this time regardless of however evil man's heart will become I will never again curse the earth like I've done here's why write this down because of Noah's altar God said never again hallelujah there are some things I'll never take you through again because you built an altar. There's some things you'll never have to go through again because you built an altar. Let me preach to somebody this morning. We got a lot of church people that come to church. We got a lot of people who come to service. But even in this great crowd of people, there's only a few people that'll offer up a sacrifice on an altar. I want you to know if you'll build God an altar and make a sacrifice, there's something you'll never have to go through again. God will make a promise to you never again. Man, I feel like preaching today. Never again. Is there anybody that understands what I'm saying? Is there anybody out there thankful? Then if you're thankful, don't wait for anybody else to praise God. Don't wait for anybody else to praise God. Don't wait for anybody else to praise the Lord. Don't wait for anybody else. Build you an altar. Build you a sacrifice. And come into the presence of God all by yourself. Has he brought you through? Is there anybody testify? If you're here, stand to your feet. He brought me through a mighty long way. Come on, lift your voice and begin to declare, God, he brought you out of something that you couldn't get out of on your own. He healed your body. He renewed your mind. He brought your child through. He brought your marriage through. He brought your family through. If he did, get on an altar and begin to praise him. If he did, give him a sacrifice. Give him a praise. Give him a praise. Give him a praise. Give him a praise in your heart this morning. Somebody ought to praise God. If he healed you, give him a sacrifice. Before you do anything else, lay up on that altar and give God a praise. Here's what the Lord said. Here's what the Lord said to me while this altar is open already. When God smells worship, he responds with his heart. When God smells worship, he responds with his heart. Never again 
I'm prophesying to somebody this morning in this house. This altar is open. I'm prophesying to somebody never again. Never again. You have gone through the fires of hell. There's some things that should have killed you. But because you stayed the course and you laid yourself down as a sacrifice and you learned how to build an altar of praise, God said never again. God said never again. You came through the worst hurt in your life. Your family wouldn't talk to you. Your children uh, abandoned you. People looked at you funny. Relationships were lost. But I prophesied to somebody because you're now in a healing process. God said never again. Never again. Never again. Never again. Somebody ought to offer him some worship this morning. Somebody offer him some praise this morning. God said never again. Never again. Never again. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice and begin to praise him in this house. Never again. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 